Jesus said these things, then rose and took his Display the bright splendor of your sun, so the sun in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human, so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by complaining down to the last detail, what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you said. They know now beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them, and they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them, for I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind, as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch, and not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sake so that they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I am praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified together as we are, I in them and you in me, and then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and loved me in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am, so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you, and these disciples know you, that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. If you'll bow with me, Father, I come at this time to deliver a message. And as always, Lord, I pray that you would remove me from this equation, that though it will be my voice, that the message would be yours, that it would land in the places that it needs to land for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to embark on a bit of a journey into the nature of one, oneness, this idea that Jesus gives to us. And we're going to look at what that might mean for the church that Jesus established. The passage that you just saw is from John 17. And it was a prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. 
those whom he was going to be leaving very soon, the ones that were with him, but also for the disciples yet to come. You know who that is, right? Yes, who? Us. Good. <laughs> I was worried there for a second. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. How many here, in reading through Scripture or even having read through the Gospel of John in this chapter, thought about the fact that Jesus had you in mind? He had you in mind when he was praying this prayer. See, the setting is this. This is what's going on. He's about to be arrested. And in the next chapter in the Gospel of John is when he heads over to the garden. That's where he goes to be arrested. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's in front of him. He knows that, there's, that the scourging is going to come. He knows that the beating is going to come. He knows that the cross is right in front of him. All of these things he's aware of, and these things had to be going on in his mind. And you know what he did in the middle of that turmoil and in the middle of that pain and in the middle of, of what he was facing? I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. See, he has this desire for us to be special. He has a desire for us to be different from the rest of the world. And this isn't the kind of difference that you go, hey, I'm something special, right? And it's not an arrogant, prideful kind of difference. It's not something that's self-focused. It's not a look-at-me kind of different, right? It's a look-at-him kind of difference. It comes from a sense of humility. It comes from a, from, from a sense of experiencing the love and the care that God has for you. Did you know that God loves you? Do you know that he cares for you? The creator, think about it. This overwhelms me when I spend time with this. The creator of all that is loves Mike Devine. It's outlandish, and yet it's true. See, you're in his thoughts. You were in his thoughts at that moment, and that's not new. You've been in his thoughts from the time of his last days here on earth. You are still in his thoughts. You see, God is for us. God is, we just sang it, right? If God is for us, who can be against it? God is for us. So let me share from this passage out of Romans 8. It's beginning at verse 31. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, so bear with me because I love this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Can Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. He prayed for you before he went to the cross. He's interceding for you now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present or the future or powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if that doesn't get an amen, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. How cool. How amazing. The one who died, no more than that, the one who was raised to life is at the right hand of God interceding for us. That is cool. You are still in the thoughts and the prayers of Jesus. You are still there. He has a desire for you. He has a desire for me, for his church. See, he tells us the goal. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind like us. See, the word one, I, was, I looked this up and I looked up the word, what does the word one mean in this passage? And you know what it means? One. <laughs> it means the numeral one. That's what it means. It's the, it, the Father and the Son are, were, and ever will be one. And, and I know the message, which is what we read earlier, is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's Eugene Peterson's kind of interpretation of that passage. So I want to go to the New International Version for the passage I'm going to use this morning, which is from 20 to 23 in, in John. And it reads this way. It's very similar. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know, this just struck me. But did you know that there's going to be people who believe in Jesus through the message that you bring and I bring? Because we're now the disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, twice in these last, that's three verses out of a passage of Scripture, out of this prayer, twice in those three verses, Jesus states basically the same thing, that the disciples who follow will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and, and that, the, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. It is this oneness that the church has available to it, more specifically that you and I as the body of Christ has available to us. This is being one as the Father and Son are one. Being one as the Father and Son are one. And that's a mystery. That's a mystery. The how of that. Now, that it happens is not a mystery because Jesus doesn't often say stuff twice. He said this twice. May they be one. Have given them the glory you gave me. And that's how we achieve this oneness. Now, in this week, I looked at a lot of commentaries on this because 
You know, this is one of those passages that if you're not careful, you glide right through and you miss it because it's so deep. Jameson Fawcett commentary tells us this, says it is not the future glory of the heavenly state, but the secret of that present unity just before spoken of, the glory, therefore, the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ, the glory of an accepted state, of a holy character, of every grace. We just came out of the Emmanuel season, right? Epiphany, today is, the, is, is Epiphany Sunday. It celebrates the miracles that Jesus uh, revealed to the world, the miracle when he was baptized, when, when he changed the water into wine. The, and, and so Epiphany is, is kind of this revelation of God, and we celebrate that. And God is with us, but it's more than that now because God is in us. When he rose, he sent the Holy Spirit, and it changed the whole dynamic of the temple. You know who the temple is, right? You and I are now the temple of God. It's no longer that building that you go to. We talk about that a lot because it gets real easy to go, I'm going to church. Anybody say that this morning? Yeah, I'm going to church. Instead of, you know what, I am church. We are church. Now, I'm not, you know, we go to the building, right? We go to the church building. Our reform, we got an address, you know. But we're not the church, or, or the building's not the church anymore. It used to be the temple was the church. Now it's not. Now it's us together. And I'll tell you, the more people we get together in the church, the more Holy Spirit that gets going, the better off that the church is going to be because people are going to see that in us. And when they see it in us, it's going to change their lives because you cannot encounter the living God and, and t- come out of that not changed. You can't. God lives in us as followers of Christ, and it's because of that, it's because of that living in us that this oneness that we're talking about is even possible at all because we can't achieve it. Lord knows that. Look at the world. The world can't achieve the oneness that Jesus is talking about here without the Holy Spirit. We're to be in the world. We're not to be out of the world. We're to be in the world. In the passage that was read, it says this in verse 13 and 14, or 13 through, through 19. It says, I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But catch this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The <laughs> Bible is important. Your word is important. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may too be sanctified, truly. That's the prayer. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. We're supposed to engage in the world. We're supposed to be involved. We're supposed to be who we are. You might have heard this around here. Be you. For him, be who you, God created you to be who you are, but not just to be who you are for, you know, your own benefit, be who you are for the glory of God. And if we each do that and we live that out in this place, it'll change the whole community. Think of the church doing that. That's it. Be who you are. Don't be somebody else. Heaven knows you don't want to be me, Uh, but don't be somebody else. Be you. That's, That's what you need to do, but be you for God. Be you for the glory of God. See, this is not a simple passage. It's not a simple concept, or, or better yet, maybe, maybe it's too simple. 
But it's really difficult, this idea of being one, because it requires some things that are left. But we are not of this world any more than Jesus is. We've been sent into the world to make a difference. You know what difference makers do? They make a difference. <laughs> That's not, that one's easy, huh? That's, it's true that difference makers make a difference. And that difference is, is made when we stop r- relying solely upon our own skill set. When we stop relying solely upon our own thought process or solely upon our own abilities. You are gifted. You have gifts from God, but they're not just for you. They're to be used by God so that you can experience the mystery of this oneness that we're talking about this morning. And mysteries are a part of our faith, in case you're wondering. There's a lot of mysteries in our faith. Remember this passage. We went through this a few weeks back. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, my power, my dunamis is the Greek word. My dunamis, my dynamic, I'm a dynamic power. My power is made perfect, which is teleos, which is mature, complete. So my power is made perfect in weakness, which is asthenia, which is trials and tribulations. So, so that's kind of backwards and doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a bit of a mystery when you start going, now hang on, God. So your strength is made perfect in weakness. How does that make any sense at all? And then similarly, there's another passage that says, when I am weak, then I am strong. What? That makes no sense. Welcome to the world of God. Flip it upside down. See, when we rely on our own, and I understand kind of how some of this works, when I rely on my own abilities and I am able to do that, you know who I don't rely on? God. Now, when I get out past my own abilities, you know who I'm likely to be going to? Oh, Lord, help. You know, the, the, our best prayer. That's our best prayer in the, in, in the faith. A lot of people think it's the Lord's prayer, but I think the most common prayer is help. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's out there. Or another mystery, we have two of our uh, writers in the New Testament. We have Paul, and his theology is called Pauline theology. And in Romans, he, he tells us that, you are, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone might boast. So we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that none of us boast. So we're saved by grace, right? So it's not about what we do, right? And then James, a little bit later on, comes back and he says, oh, by the way, faith without works is dead. What? But Paul said that we're saved by f- grace through faith. And James is telling us that faith without works is dead. And so how does all that work together? Now, I can explain it to you pretty quick. It's, you know, we are saved by faith or by grace through faith. But when we're saved, you know what happens? We encounter the living God. You know what that does? We start doing stuff different because I want to do things different. So James is just kind of taking the next step. If you're saved by grace through faith, you're going to do works. But if you're not going to do works so that you get a claim, you're going to do works that glorify God. It's powerful, but it's a little bit of a mystery, you know, when you start to bring together a lot of the things in our faith. So for the next couple of weeks here, through January, we're going to look at this idea of oneness. What does that look like 
in real life, anybody live in real life? With real people as the real church. And you're going to hear that a lot. Real life, real people, real church. And if you look close on that, you might see, see yourself up there. See, each of us here is not living in a bubble. We're not living in a bubble. We embrace being in the world, but not of the world here at Arbor Point Church. We embrace that. That is our calling. That's part of who we are. We know that none of us are perfect. We are a group of imperfect people. Jesus, that's right. So we're a group of imperfect people following the one who is perfect, happens to be Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's who we're following. That's who we are in this place. We embrace that. We want to inspire people to fulfill the calling that, that they have in their life. That's what we want to be about. That, that's our purpose here, to lead people from where they are to where God would have them to be. Disciples make disciples. That's what we're about here. Right? That's what we do. That's why you heard all that stuff that's coming back. You know, it was, was off for maybe, maybe the end of the Christmas season. There's a lot going on around here. There's a lot of opportunities to grow in your faith and to be in service. We're not a big church, but we're, we're, we're an impactful place. God is moving here, and that's what you want. That's what we want. Matthew Henry, another commentary, comment, commentarian, uh, related this, and I want to share this with you because this is about that idea of oneness. He said, Our Lord especially prayed, that all believers might be as one body under one head, animated by one soul, by their union with Christ and the Father in him, through the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The more they dispute about lesser things, the more they throw doubt on Christianity. Oh, the more we dispute about lesser things, the more we throw doubt on Christianity. Let us endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, praying that all believers may be more and more united in one mind and one judgment. Thus shall we convince the world of the truth and the excellence of our religion and find more sweet communion with God and his saints. See, if we're able to be one, if we're able to be one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then I believe we become the church that Jesus intended. When we become one, as the Father and Son are one. But it's not going to mean complete agreement on every issue. Don't mishear me. A lot of folks hear unity and they go, well, we got to agree on everything. <laughs> Have you been to church? <laughs> Do we agree on everything? Do we agree on anything? Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So it, it's not, uh, it doesn't mean that we're going to have complete agreement, but you know what it will mean? Is that we're willing to put God first, above our own desires, above our own stuff. And, and to emphasize that, I want to close with this scripture from Matthew 26, it's verse 39, and it's Jesus praying again. He prayed a lot. Did you ever read Said he, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. See, father and son are and were and ever shall be one.
are and were and ever shall be. And yet, when Jesus was still, when Jesus was here on the planet, he still had a desire that was other than what God's, he knew God's plan. He knew where he was going. He knew what was up. He knew what God's will was. And he prayed, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. And that tells me that we're not always going to have the desire to do God's will in our lives. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're going to want to do something else. But I'd be remiss if I didn't finish the passage. Because he goes on and says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He was one with the Father, willing to do whatever it was. He also was able to bring to the Father his honest thoughts and who he really is. And I pray that you do the same. It's okay. God can handle wherever you are. Being one will not mean that we always agree, but being one will mean putting God first. And this can only happen because of the mystery of God in us and the power of, that comes from him and that carries us forward in those times when we just can't get it done because with God, all things are possible. And this is a message that the world needs to see. See, we're arguing about a lot of lesser things in the church these days. We really are. You know, it's not that they're not important, but when you think about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and living out the, our faith, we're arguing about some lesser things in the church, and it's hurting the witness that we might have. But if they see us in this context, they see us as one, as the Father and the Son are one, the ability to be one no matter the circumstance we might find ourselves in, the ability to be one whether we're agreeing or not, but we're on board. We, we, we don't have to agree on everything to be on board for God's agenda, and that's what we need to do, because if we'll do that, that will be noticeable in this world of ours. That will be astonishing is what that will be. It will be noticeable. People are going to come to you and say, what's up? It's going to draw questions. It's going to have people wonder what's different about those people. They, they're not like the other folks that are just attack, attack, attack. They're, they're actually trying to figure stuff out together. It's going to change lives. It changes ours, but it changes others as well. And most of all, it will honor God. And I don't know about you, but when push comes to shove, I want my life to honor God. Real life, real people, the real church. Easy? Hmm. Require setting some stuff aside that we like to hang on to? It will for me. Powerful? 